and thank you for the opportunity to um, of being with you today at uh, at Montmorency. It's always a joy for us to come across from country Pakenham uh, to uh, to uh, meet with you folk here. Some of you will know that uh, for for most of our lives we have been involved in ministering to people who have very deep hurts. Many of them are receiving these deep hurts in childhood and and many uh, in later years. And we ourselves, uh, as many of you here, uh, have also suffered some of these deep hurts. But we are convinced that God alone is able to heal broken hearts and broken lives. And so we've been involved in that, uh, in counselling and ministry for a long, long time. Last year I, I, um, I took ill and uh, spent a whole year, um, if I got from my bed to the lounge chair that was a really good day's work and uh, it was a, a very humbling and a very debilitating time but it was also a time of great blessing and one of the, the blessings for me was that I was able to get round to um, writing a little about the things that we uh, have been passionate about for a long time. It's not a book about our life or our ministry. It's a, it's an allegory, a little, you know, like a, a C.S. Lewis type allegory in which um, people are invited to explore the issues of fear and anger and inner healing. And uh, and so I've taken the liberty, uh, I'm not going to talk about it in, anymore, but taken the liberty of putting some out there on a table if you would like. Uh, like to take it, uh, feel free to do that. Um, I think uh, Julius put the price on it, it's $20, but we'd love you to uh, have that and love to hear from you too how, how um, you found it as a blessing to you or maybe a blessing to others. It's called When the Tiger Roars. And uh, it's on the table uh, for you to take. Uh, I have been given the opportunity and the privilege of uh, speaking out of Romans chapter 8. Just has to be, uh, as it is for many of us, one of my favourite passages of scripture and I'm glad that Elaine read those first couple of verses. Um, the... The reality is, the reality I want to explore today is that these promises, these proclamations that Paul makes about what God has done for us in his great love and what we are the recipients of because of his great love and mercy, these great statements actually have no impact at all on our lives unless we believe them enough for them to change the way we live. Now I'm making a presumption that everybody here knows, uh, knows this passage as well as I do. So there's probably nothing I can say today that will be new to you. You've sat under sermons on this chapter, maybe here, maybe in conferences, maybe at conventions, you know it really well. And I do too. But the question I began to ask myself as I read each of these great statements was, if I really 
believed in a very practical and obedient sense the statements that Paul makes in this passage, what difference would that make to my life? I'm uh, speaking tonight to a group of young adults. I'm uh, really chuffed that at 80 years of age nearly I get the opportunity to speak to young adults. And uh, they've asked me to speak about the Bible, the, the Word of God and the power of the Word of God. But one of the things I want to say to them is that although this is God's Word, the, the Bible is God's Word and although it's inspired by God, it has no power at all in our lives unless we obey it, unless we believe it and obey it. It is no more powerful than tomorrow morning's newspaper unless we are able to take these great truths and apply them to our lives. So I've been thinking, that's how I've been thinking about Romans 8 in the last few weeks. So what if these great statements that Paul makes were actually questions about how much we believed them? Like this, does it change the way we live that we believe that there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit, the, the law of the Spirit who gave life has set us free from the law of sin and death. What difference does it make to my life that I, I believe that? Well, obviously this, this statement addresses things like shame and guilt. And in my lifetime, I have met scores and scores of Christians who know this verse as well as we do here this morning, but who still live with shame and guilt which comes from the past. There are still things that they, they think about that, that plunge them into despair. Even though the Bible says there is no condemnation to everyone that believes. Even though this statement is saying God has put our sins as far as the east is from the west. Even though it's saying that and we are believing that it's God's word. For many, many people it doesn't change anything in their lives. Why is that? Why is that? Well, for some strange reason, it behoves human beings to hold on to things that are self-condemning. For some reason, we like to, to indulge in self-criticism and self-condemnation that rises out of the lack of belief in this truth. I carried for over 30 years guilt and shame which came from the fact that I was abused as a child. And some, for some reason abuse victims take shame 
on themselves. It's like we are somehow responsible for what happened to us. And even though I had become a Christian and even though I preached sermons on the Lord's Prayer, um, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, even though I did all that, I still carried the shame. And I could walk into a room like this and feel feel um, uh, like I didn't measure up. And, and I lived under that. But this verse says there is no condemnation, right? There is no condemnation. And we have no right to say... I believe that if then we turn around and and focus on stuff that condemns us. Nor have we any right to be critical of other people and to be condemning of their behaviours and actions regardless of what they are. Because in God, through Christ... When they come to know him, they are free of all condemnation. Now, I want you to really say, well, here's the question. Do I live every day as if that verse is true? Do I live every day as if it is true that the spirit who gives life has set us free from the spirit of sin and death? Death, do I live like that? Or, or let's go on to the next one. Does it, does it change the way we live that if we believe, if we believe the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life? A way of thinking about that is, is what comes out of our mind as people who are indwelt by the spirit is what comes out of our mind, is that life? Does that breathe life into our situation, into the people we are talking to, into the people we are involved with? Are the words we speak the words of life? Or is what comes out of our minds and out of our mouths death? Because it's critical or judgmental or legalistic God Paul is saying that God has come to set us free so that we have the spirit of life working in us and projecting into our relationships and everything that we do the life of God would people say of you or, or of me, oh, I, I love it when he comes to talk to me because it's all so positive and it's all so encouraging and it's all so affirming. Or, or would they expect that at least something we will say will be negative or critical or judgmental? Spirit has come to give us life. Or, or this third statement, does it change the way we believe that it is by the Spirit we can call God? Does it change the way we live that we believe that it is by the Spirit we can call God Abba Father? 
and that the Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are the children of God. If I really believe that truth, I get, would get up every morning knowing that the Holy Spirit is going to testify with my spirit, my human spirit today, that I am a child of God. That any doubts, any lack of assurance, any fears that I might have about about belonging to God will be dispelled today because the Holy Spirit witnesses with my spirit that I am his child, that I am the child of God. If I, if I really believed this verse so that it changed the way I lived, it would mean that I would come to God knowing that he is my, my father, my Abba, my daddy, and that he wants only good for me. And on the surface, that sounds an easy thing to say. But two years ago, two years ago almost to the day, we lost our 18-year-old granddaughter, just a beautiful, beautiful girl. And for three and a half weeks, we watched her dying in a hospital. Thousands of Christians across this country were praying for her. And she died. And I'm a pastor and I'm a counselor, but I've got to tell you, I was on my knees before God and the day she died saying, God, I don't know what to do with this. What do I do with this? I have believed all my life that you are a good God, that you answer prayer, that, that if we come to you with the desires of our heart, you will, you will answer that. And yet amidst all of that pain and all the pain that has followed since in our family, his spirit has witnessed every day in my spirit that I'm his child. And that even if I don't understand what he is doing and why he is doing it, that thought that he is my Abba Father is the thought that brings peace and hope and joy in the midst of struggle. What about you? You're going through maybe something similar. Do you know? Do you believe? Do you open yourself to the Spirit's witness to your spirit that you are indeed a child of God? Or, or this one, that in all things work for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. What difference would that make in our moment-by-moment, day-by-day life if we really believe that? On the way over this morning, uh, one of the nice things about coming to Montmorency is you get to listen to the uh, the, the service on Light FM. <laughs> and, uh, and we heard a preacher, it was not really my style of preaching, but he he, he was good because he was reminding us that life is like a book and the book a book is divided into chapters and sometimes we find ourselves in the midst of a chapter 
which is very painful and very difficult but to remember that it, it's only a chapter it's not the whole book and that we are to live beyond the chapter and to live into the truth of the book it's quite a powerful illustration isn't it and, and why can we do that why can we go through difficult times why can we go through really hard times as people of hope because we know that we are the called according to his purpose that he has called us to himself that he has adopted us as his children that he has filled us with his Holy Spirit we we know that and because we know that we know that we can live beyond this chapter into the next chapter and that that whatever is happening will, will become the good that God has planned for the called okay that's what we're called to believe that's what Paul is asking us to actually believe or or perhaps the next one Um, does it change the way we live that if God is for us nothing can stand against us and that he who did not spare his own son but gave himself up for us all, will freely give us all things. Just think about that. You know, sometimes we we focus on God's gift of Jesus to the world, to us, the gift of salvation through Christ. That's wonderful. But Paul is saying, this God who gave us this glorious gift, this amazing gift, will freely give us all things. <laughs> all things good. Just recently I was asked to speak on the phenomena of unanswered prayer. You know what I mean, that many Christians have this big mountain of disappointment between them and God because there were prayers they prayed that God didn't answer there were times they cried out to God and he didn't seem to turn up and so we were talking about that and we talked about that parable that Jesus told or or that illustration that Jesus used when he talked about us as earthly fathers would give good gifts to our children and and if we thought what our children were asking for was not good, we would give them the good thing, even if they'd asked for something that was going to be destructive or not helpful. And I thought about that a lot, and I thought about, you know, that's, that's how our Father is, our Heavenly Father is. We think we know exactly what's the best, what we want, Sometimes God delays it. Sometimes he, he gives us something quite different. But it comes, the, 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 our ability to trust him in that comes out of believing that he is the one who will give us all things, all good things. That he's shaping and molding our lives in the most incredible way. Does it change the way we live that we believe that nothing that happens in life 
can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Do you and I really go through life believing that nothing, absolutely nothing, in heaven, in earth, under the earth, sickness, pain, suffering, financial reversals, whatever, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Do we really believe that? And and you know that Paul's not saying this because he's got faith in the Christians that they won't some at some point lose faith. He's not he's not saying that we as Christians will ne- because of what we've experienced in Jesus will never walk away from God. He's not saying that. He's saying that God will never walk away from us. He's saying that the love of God is absolute and complete and unconditional and he will never, ever, ever withdraw it. That's what he's saying. There are times in all of our lives when it's difficult to see in the dark, when there doesn't seem to be any illumination in the dark but then we take this truth this amazing truth and we can say it doesn't matter how dark it gets nothing can separate me from the reality of God's love not just not just the theory about God's love but the reality of God's love, that he is loving me at this very moment. He is loving you at this very moment. Whatever is bewildering you or confusing you in your life right now, whatever good thing is happening to you and how independent you're feeling, the truth is that that it's God's love that will sustain you. And the truth also is that I can choose to believe that or I can choose not to. That's really the challenge of our humanity, isn't it? The God who gives us all good things is holding it out to us and always, whether we take it, embrace it, believe it, will depend on the choice we make to do that the power of choice has never been taken away from us God has never taken away our free will and the power of choice when we choose what God has promised is very therapeutic and very healing indeed one more statement here that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us I pondered that for a while I thought of course I know what that means I've read it thousands of times I've heard it preached thousands of times But why did Paul choose the word conqueror? 
because Christianity was being was growing in a time when the Roman Empire had conquered country after country after country. Conquerors walked down the street in, in uniform. Conquerors wore a certain type of helmet. They carried certain type of weapons. That's what a conqueror was. A conqueror could, could make you bow to him in the street. A conqueror could take away your freedom. A conqueror could, could, uh, put the most horrific suffering into your life. That's what a conqueror could do. But Jesus, through Paul, is saying, you can be more than a conqueror. You can walk even in an occupied country with the knowledge that God is Lord and King and is in control of our lives. That's what we can do. We can hold our heads high when we're criticized and put down and, and, and make no mistake about it. People who live in Australia, Christians who live in Australia, in the next 20 years will know what it is not just to be criticized, but to be persecuted. Maybe to be unemployable because they dare stand for Jesus Christ. We are living in an age when regardless of your politics, the truth is that more and more of our freedoms as Christian people being taken away. But in the midst of that, Paul is saying, has already said to people who've been there long before us, that we are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. That our character is more than the, con- the character of the conqueror. That the power of life is stronger than the conqueror. That we are more than conquerors. I, I have to sit in my office and ask the question, do I really believe that? Do I really believe that? Do I live my life before my family? Do I live my life before the people in our village? Do I live my life before uh, the people I connect with in any sense as one who has the confidence that I am more than a conqueror? Do you do that? Because that's the challenge of Romans 8. It's a great chapter to write songs about. It's a great chapter to, to preach on. But it means very little until by faith we decide we're going to live as if every statement in that chapter is true and that it has the power to change how we live. Let's pray. As we bow in prayer, I just want to suggest that you might just make your own response to God. You may just want to thank him so much that that you do believe 
what he says and that you do live on the truth of that and it has changed so many aspects of your life and you want to just worship him in this moment for that there may be others who want to respond by saying I once believed that but right now I'm going through a time when I don't know I don't really know whether I'm living free of condemnation I I don't really know whether my mind is governed by the spirit I don't really know whether I am a child of God I don't really know that I'm more than a conqueror God I want to be like that I want you to to take hold of my heart today and open it up to these truths so that I take hold of them whatever is the cry of your heart right now just bring it to him Father we thank you for your word we thank you for these great statements these declarations of what you've done for us and we pray for the courage and the humility to take hold of them and to base our lives our beliefs, our attitudes, our behaviours on these great truths. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.